Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you liked them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This episode is a special live edition of Sliding Doors, recorded at our second live event in November in front of an amazing audience, and it was so great to bring the podcast and our chat to life. Make sure you follow us on Instagram to keep an eye out for the next one. Enjoy the episode. My guest tonight is Anna Martha. Anna is a psychotherapist, best-selling author, podcaster, and public speaker. Her first two books, Mind Over Mother and Know Your Worth, both went straight into the Sunday Times bestsellers list, and her podcast, The Therapy Edit, has more than 1.5 million downloads. Anna has been a psychotherapist for over 13 years, and whether it's sitting with a client in her living room, speaking at a seminar, or her bite-sized therapy edit podcast episodes, Anna is passionate about taking therapy out of the therapy room and is celebrated for her accessible mental health advice and lightbulb moments that she offers. Anna shares her personal and professional experiences to support mums through motherhood. She shares supportive insights on Instagram and is an expert on mental health and providing advice on anxiety, feeling overwhelmed and encouraging self-worth. As if that wasn't enough, she has written three books and is a mother of three who lives with her husband and children in Surrey. As someone who is such an advocate for people to find more freedom and enjoyment in life, I cannot wait to find out all about the moments that have shaped hers. 
So welcome to Sliding Doors, Thank Anna. You. Amazingly. So it's going to be very, very hard tonight not to just want to have a therapy session with you because I've already chatted to you and I just want to ask your advice on everything. So I think when you're asked to do events and panels, people just want advice to you. And tonight is just all about you. We just want to know about Anna. You'd have to give, well, maybe a little bit of advice here and there. Um, so why did you want to become a therapist? Do you know what? I think a lot of people want to be a therapist therapize themselves I don't even know if that's a word I think um, for many years I could have benefited from therapy and I was very much and I know loads of people here will relate to this one of these people that was always the helper always the supporter I found that really comfortable Um, I found it quite difficult when the tables were turned and if someone asked me about me I was like don't worry about me I'm here to talk about you So that was always my stance. And I think it was a really good way of avoiding, well, just just avoiding those conversations. Like if I can become a therapist, then I can truly be that person that is always there for other people. And then all my stuff can just kind of sit in the background over there and I don't have to look at it. And there's a little saying I think we were told in some of the kind of first weeks of training is when you become a therapist, you get the therapy that you need yourself and that was one of the requirements of my training course was that I had to have therapy mm-hmm. and I remember finding this therapist basically whoever was cheapest on the website like scrolling through and she gave me a good rate and I used to go there and just be like a really good client and I'd be like right I'm just going to tick off like this box of therapy and I didn't I kind of like spoke surface level but I always had an answer for everything that I had a problem so mm-hmm. I'd be like I've got this this is going on but actually this is why and this is what I'm going to do about it so she yourself. was like you I would just kind of wrap everything up and so I kind of yeah I guess I trained as a therapist to avoid the fact that I needed therapy and carry on helping everyone else and I couldn't get away with that for too long yeah especially as a mum that kind of like broke me open and I was like I really need all these tools on myself and actually vulnerability and what I'm making space for, for other people. Mm -hmm. That's what I need to do. And it was the hardest lesson. Yeah, it's so hard. And I think, you know, anyone that has one of these mentally exhausting jobs, you need to have your own outlet to be able to do that for other people. And Mm -hmm. what were you like growing up then? What did you want to be when you were younger? And what were you like as a person while you were growing up? I was very good. Mm-hmm. I was just like a good girl. I grew up, well, I'm not sure my parents are complete. I think they probably fairly agree with that. Um, we had a lot of chaos growing up. So my little sister got diagnosed with cancer when she was about two, uh, two and a half. And then, so that was a lot of my childhood was mm-hmm. going back and forth to Birmingham Children's Hospital, often even staying there. It's like staying, they have all of this accommodation. And it was kind of, her treatment really was was my childhood and the knowledge that she had a brain tumor the knowledge that at some point it would come back Mm -hmm. and at some point it would take her life so that was those kind of formative early years were were quite shaped by that and because there was just so much kind of uncertainty and my parents dealt with it very differently my mum was very much kind of the the mother the the like I'm going to I'm going to just kind of try and keep everything as consistent as possible for you me and my brother my dad just was was broken and he kind of engaged in anything really that would just numb him mm-hmm. so 
I was good because I I didn't want to make it harder for them. I didn't, they were sad. Like there was so much kind of trauma going on that I I kind of assumed this position of I'm just going to be good. I don't want to stress my parents anymore. I don't want to create a problem. So yeah, I just decided that that's, that was the best way for me. And then I spent a number of years now and doing that. Yeah, I was going to say. I'm naughty now. I'm not that naughty. No, but it's a lot to take on as a young child, like to have to push away mm. all of those feelings. And do you feel like from a young age, you built a really like strong resilience because you did go through so much? Yeah, I think so. Or I just really, really learned how to like just cover over it. Mm-hmm. That was the skill yeah. that I learned along the way. And I think something I talk a lot about in my work is that sometimes the best growth that we can do doesn't really look that tidy on the outside. Often it's it's kind of an undoing of everything that we've learned about how we should be, like the good girl or the, you know, the helper or whatever that looks like. You know, on the outside, those things look good and mm-hmm. neat and pleasing, but actually often the best journey we can go on is starting to dismantle that. And it looks a lot messier. And my emotions now are a lot more kind of, they are a lot more messy. And my house is a bit more messy and my life is a bit more messy. But actually that for me is living more authentically and it's less exhausting. Yeah. And do you find that when you do have, you know, when you talk to different people and you have these therapy sessions, do you sometimes find things out about yourself, even though you're the therapist? Yeah, always. And I think... The other thing is that you can you can just identify. And I think having spoken to so many women now, you start noticing the themes as a therapist. So when I do a session with a woman, a mum, I will often just be able to pinpoint what's going on here. They don't perhaps believe that they're deserving of rest because they've got a challenge with self-esteem. And there's a part in me that just knows what that feels mm-hmm. like. So I think it's more that there's just a part of me that just kind of sees that struggle in them and just kind of just really relates yeah definitely and I feel like you know I'm a lot more open now of just saying I have therapy like I'll just be like oh I'm going to have a therapy session now and I feel like you know in the past maybe like couple of years people talk about it more but what would you say to people that have never had it before that think oh well I don't really have that much wrong with me like you know I talk to my friends I talk to my husband why is therapy important for people I think it's just having having really intentional conversations that are ring fenced and in your diary because I don't know about you guys but I will intend to talk to a friend you know and and then we just settle for a few whatsapps or I love a voice note like that's definitely (laughs) like my voice notes are often the length of my podcast yeah (laughs) and I listen to everything on 1.5 speed so I've only just I've only just uh, realized that exists yeah and on Instagram as well oh my gosh yeah yeah Yeah. but I think um trying to remember the question now what did you ask um oh god now I need to remember what the question was um I asked you for people that want to have therapy yeah. what why is it important to have it even if you feel like you don't necessarily there's nothing wrong in your life at that specific time I think it's just some having a fixed space and time to just talk about stuff and often we don't even think you know I'll often speak to my therapist I now speak to her I used to see her in London in like a kind of classic clinical setting and now I speak to her on this big kind of loop around my my kind of near where I live through the fields and always like lose signal at this one point and I'm like having to kind of like climb up onto a verge at another point and stuck in the mud and 
you know, I think it's just that space is there. And I might mm. start the conversation saying, I literally don't know what to talk about. And then end up kind of talking about something I've never spoken about before. And I think, you know, we have so many relationships now, quite possibly more than ever before. You know, yeah. if we think back a couple of generations, families were less spread out. Like you had friendships that kind of lasted the like your life maybe but now we're just kind of all scattered and we move around we go to uni and then we go there and then we move for work and and I think we have so many connections but how many people really know how we are yeah because it's so easy just to send the message or have a quick phone call but I just think it's so important we're we're hardwired for connection Mm -hmm. as humans and I think the way that we connect in this day and age it's kind of like it's on the surface, it it looks like connection, but actually it just doesn't satisfy. I often think it's like eating a McDonald's, you know, when you're really hungry and then you like shove it down and you're like, oh, and then half an hour later, you're like, right, snacks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think it, it kind of ticks a box, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, we need to feel seen. Like as humans, we need, we need to feel seen, valued and understood. Yeah. And I love my husband, for example, but often he doesn't flip and understand me. <laughs> and that can be hard. Which is also fine. Like he doesn't it's have fine. to understand every part of you. Yeah. And I think it's just very healthy to have an objective point of view sometimes so that you can yes. decide what to do, not in a moment and a situation yeah. that you're in. Yeah. And having that that set time because we like to think that our friends you know, we, we're chatting with our friends, but ultimately what kind of depth of conversations are we having and how often is that focus just purely on us? Do we find that uncomfortable? How long do we let that stay there for? And are we talking about the things that actually matter? Mm-hmm. Maybe the things in the past that are still kind of coming up in our present because it does. Yeah, it's so important to have therapy. And Going on to something that I kind of have learned through therapy sessions is, which I know that you're kind of a big advocate for as well. So we've always got the power of no. So we, we, we all learn a lot about saying no to things as you get older, having that confidence to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't have to say yes to everything. But you have a theory that's the power of and. Mm. And I'd love to know more about this. Yeah. So it's the and. And I think in the pandemic, loads of us really lent like heavily on gratitude. Because it was it was such a powerful tool, wasn't it? You know, we we were quite stuck. People were struggling in different ways. There was a lot of grief. There was a lot of uncertainty and trauma. And I think we, you know, we grabbed hold onto of, of gratitude because it, it really works. Like it can just completely shift how you're feeling. You know, we'd be at home and it'd be be homeschooling and fighting with the printer and just kind of I'd go out on the little walk that one a day and then one of the kids would be face down like two meters up the road and then that'd be it and you know you're just like this is really hard but you know I'm not in our like someone I love isn't in hospital at the moment I'm not on the front line I'm not and then so we'd kind of go into this gratitude space which is so valuable and it does work but I think it should come with a small print because Mm -hmm. What happens when we do that is we have a really valid feeling. So say in that example, it was like overwhelm or just kind of loneliness, perhaps. And what we do is we get that gratitude and we just say, actually, this is where my focus is. I'm going to just kind of just squash that with this gratitude and it makes you feel better. But what happens to those really valid emotions? And I think we can we can almost do this top trumps of like, well, I don't get to feel this overwhelm or I don't get to feel this kind of grief or I don't get to feel 
you know, whatever it may be, because actually there's someone else going through a harder time. But really, these these feelings are valid. We're just having a normal human response to the circumstances. And so and became my favorite word because I was yeah. like, right, I need to find a way not to just completely be squashing, squashing and invalidating my emotions with gratitude because we don't do it with good things, do we? We're not like, oh, I can't be happy about this because so-and-so over there <laughs> has just, you know, done this. And, and actually, whoever is at the top of the like pyramid of that emotion that actually gets the right to feel that. Yeah. So I just told myself instead of but, you know, I'm this I'm overwhelmed, but actually, you know, the gratitude is the and, you know, we can be overwhelmed and grateful. We can, you know, in motherhood, I'm doing this a lot. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the hardest thing I've ever done, but I'm so grateful. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I'm also incredibly privileged to mm-hmm. be in this situation right now. So it just kind of brings a bit of, I don't know, just a bit of acknowledgement to both those emotions and they're all just fleeting and we just should stop judging ourselves for feeling it's so true and I was speaking to a friend about this the other day because it's all about feeling relative to you and I think that sometimes doing what you said where you're like there are people worse off and there's the things it does make you feel better but it's not going to make you feel better for long like you said with the McDonald's theory so it is really important to always kind of be like you know I'm not a mum but I can still say I'm tired even yeah. though I don't have kids and yeah. it's just it's that that feeling of being able to say it but also you know trying to really think about the person that you're talking with and kind of what they're feeling as well yeah um, so no I love that theory um so out of everything that you do because you do so much what really feeds your soul um I love writing long things mm-hmm. because I feel like Instagram now I used to love, I used to write the longest posts like every time I'd have to edit down because I can't <laughs> remember how many words it would let you have but I was always kind of like just challenging it. it'd be like you can't post this it's too long um, and now it's all video um, and long posts you know I think our attention span I think we just many of us kind of burn out and depleted so video is so much kind of easier to consume so I love right I love writing the books. Mm-hmm. I just love kind of being able to go into some depth and kind of get under the skin of things and yeah. So and, that's what I love doing that. And do you when you do write a book what's kind of your process? Are you someone that like wants to be like locked in a room? Do you write it over like do you procrastinate? I just I just have to smash it out cuz yeah. I have such limited windows like <laughs> I've, uh, yeah, I remember my editor saying, Anna, it's like every chapter is an essay in itself. And I'm like, that's because I have a section of time and I'm like, right, today I'm focusing on this. And she has to kind of like join it all together. But yeah, there's little chance of being locked in a room anywhere in my house. That is maybe not the bathroom. That's probably the only one that I can get away with. Love that. And you've got three books and are you currently writing at the moment? Potentially. Ah, exciting. Potentially. Really exciting. Um, and I also really love your 10 minute therapy um mm. edit episodes because if any of you haven't listened to them, they're so useful because you can literally just listen to them in 10 minutes and they're bite-sized um little pieces of advice about different topics. And right now with the world that we're in, with everything going on, um, if there's kind of like one piece of advice, you know, everyone should take away today with like the world we're living in and all the things you talk about, what would you say that is? I uh, oh there's a big question isn't Sorry. it <laughs> yeah. there is a big question you know what I think I just think the speed of life is is just so tangible like we're we're just overwhelmed with mm-hmm. 
you know, whether it's news, whether it's when you think people just used to buy the paper and sit and read the paper or kind of listen to a certain, you know, radio show and then they'd kind of consume their news. We're just bombarded with with data and our brains are a little we have limited capacity to our brains and there's only so much that we can keep consuming everything that we're consuming our brains are having to process you know and it's it's a lot and then our brains are also having to try and work out what what do we need to know of that yeah. and actually what can we just let go and then we're letting go of stuff that we actually need to know um this happens a lot to me um especially around the kids and like oh gosh forgetting important things but so I think it's just try and find your ways to slow down. Like mm-hmm. try, like even something I'm trying to do at the moment is I just find myself running around my house, like just running up the stairs. <laughs> like I have a shower and then I'm just kind of like, like rubbing my skin off really rapidly. Like just <laughs> why, you know, I think we're just, we're rushing because we're being told that we need to move fast. We can't miss out. We can't, you know, we need to know everything. And actually we're just overwhelmed depleted and burnt out and then when we are those things it's hard then to connect with others it's hard you know my husband comes home from work and I'm like I can't I'm in seven whatsapp groups and I've got three kids at school like why am I in seven school whatsapp groups and it's that bombardment and it's thinking how can we in this culture just try and slow down intentionally and I'm literally trying to move slower not like snail's pace just stop running around my own house Good idea. And what you're going to be like, it's going to affect your timing maybe, but by like 30 seconds. But what could happen in that 30 seconds? Oh, yeah. Sliding girls' oh, moments. Yeah. You never know. No, but it's really good. And if anyone take, you know, if you take one thing away today, just slow down. As you say, mm. one little thing, like how quickly you make your cup of tea, running up and down the stairs. Like we can all just take a moment more yeah. to breathe, to just kind of take things in. Um, so before we go on to talking about all about you and your moments, I wanted to ask you, so when it comes to the sliding doors theory and the theory of fate, coincidence, timing, everything happening for a reason, what do you believe in? Oh, I always, so what I always say to myself is what is meant for you will not pass you by. Yeah. So I remember that being particularly helpful when we were like moving house a good number of years ago. And I, I'd get really invested, you know, when you're like not meant to kind of not meant to get really invested in a house that you're looking around and I'd literally move in in my head. And then when it didn't work out, I'd be like, oh, darn, you know, I've now got to like move back out again. And I think I just have always held on to what is what is meant for you won't pass you by. And I found that to be quite true. So I don't know, with these sliding door moments, I just think, maybe they were meant to happen. And I think we can so often think like, what would have happened if that hadn't happened when actually maybe that weird coincidence was kind of meant to happen all along. Yeah. And I've definitely recently, when anything kind of, you know, gets cancelled or anything bad happens, Mm. there is that relief sometimes of being like, you know what, maybe this is meant to be. And I mean, you've got to have a bit of time to be like, but as you say, when when you're buying a house and it doesn't work, when you go for a job and you don't get it, sometimes we can take that kind of relief and being like, well, actually, maybe there's something better for me. Is that kind of what? Yeah, absolutely. Like I get quite diplomatic now. Like I have a moment of sadness or frustration depending on what it was, it might be more than a moment. <laughs> but ultimately, I I then kind of settle back into the sense of what what is right. Like, yeah, it won't 
pass me by and and we can only I think we can be proactive and we can be reflective when we're making decisions but that's that's all that we can do really mm-hmm. definitely um so we'll go on to talking about your moments so Anna's moments have obviously been perfectly formatted as she loves to write um into what if scenarios so your first one is what if I had chosen a different university so you say I chose my university because of a boy I was dating went there I mean, we've all made decisions because of men. This is a great one. And we have a lot of university moments on the podcast. Um, It's a really kind of good one to start with. So um, explain what kind of what choice you made, uh, which university you went to, what you were doing, who Mm. the boy was and why this was such a sliding doors moment for you. Okay, so I met this boy when I was 14 and I was convinced that this- Love of your life. Yeah, love of my life, (laughs) my whole life. And he, so we dated for a few years. It just seems so, you know, not much older than my oldest son now. Like, I feel really, yeah, it just, I look back and I think, man, I really was so young to feel such kind of big certainties. Um, But we broke up in the summer before university. And we'd been looking, we'd kind of been looking separately at these universities. And I'd really liked Warwick. Mm -hmm. Um, But he went, he was going to go to Loughborough. And I got, so I was like, well, that's nice too. So I got accepted by Loughborough and I made that decision basically based on the fact that he was going to go there. So you weren't going out at the time. So, so I'd made that decision when we were going oh, out were going shortly out. after we did break up. Oh, yeah. That's, and did you ever kind of think like, I'm going to change my mind because he's like, was that not a bit awkward? To be honest, I probably have never admitted to my parents or anyone else that, that that was the main reason that I was going to go there. <laughs> Hi, mum. I think it was a slightly different course. It was social psychology, whereas Warwick was kind of straight up psychology. So I kind of liked that element. So to me, that was like, yeah, actually, it's because of the course. It's not because of the boy. And what was it like so, when you went there, when you were... Awkward. Yeah. Yeah, it was awkward. It were was great. Like, and I was sad. Yeah. Like, I was sad. And it was like, I'd see him every now and again. In the students' union, not that they spoke like farmers there. Um, and it was, yeah, it was awkward because he was kind of, he felt in a way a bit like home to me because he mm-hmm. was familiarity in this kind of sea of just um, just change and, and kind of just, yeah, everything was very different. And so it was, it was uh, awkward. And it's interesting now, because when you look back, you're probably like, I should have just made a clean break and change, like out of my, sight, out of mind. But when we are that age... I don't know the thing where like if I go and then like did you want to get back together with him? Quite possibly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to remember so, so long ago now, but yeah. And I and I was such a, I was such a kind of a people pleaser back then as well. So I don't. I think I was just when he got accepted. I think I was like, well, I want to be with him. So it wasn't. Really, I didn't really think much about well, what do I what yeah. what do I want to do. I wasn't really thinking about my future because I thought he was my future. So mm-hmm. I just didn't really ask myself what I wanted. Which is really interesting because I think we put so much pressure on young people to know what they want at that age. And sometimes they do. And sometimes they do know what they want, but sometimes they do just want to follow a friend or follow yeah. a boy. And we've all made decisions like that. I've made university decisions, school decisions based on friends that went there. Um, But from going to that university, what 
subsequent things happened that kind of made that place so special for you that maybe wouldn't have happened if you'd have gone somewhere else? I met my husband very quick. Ah, <laughs> so you met another boy? Met another boy very, very quickly. And I was such a, I was just such a vulnerable, broken little girl. You know, I can think of myself as little now when I think back to kind of, I was just 19 and my husband was just 18 and I just wanted to be, I just wanted to be, I wanted some some stability. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to feel loved. I had a difficult relationship with my my precious dad who was just not well loved as a child. So has always found it hard to show love in yeah. a way that I think I always craved it. So I just, I was just wanted the attention and affection of someone who I felt wanted to be with me. But I was just such a yeah I was just so insecure and I'm just so grateful that he's he was a good guy that I met yeah so I remember doing the what was it the what was that um rag you know they're kind of the yeah and they do all the raising them raising the awareness and raising the funds and they did like this float thing Mm -hmm. and I was on this float dressed as a cheerleader of course and my husband who was not my husband then was on crutches he'd done a drinking challenge and gotten drunk and fallen down some stairs I later found out and he was kind of a kind of hopping yeah behind behind the the float in front and I remember looking at him and thinking oh he's nice and uh, I met him that night in a in the in a club and and that was that was that that's amazing because you actually, I didn't know all this information yeah. beforehand. So actually the choice of you going to this university for one guy, so you owe a lot to this ex-boyfriend because if he yeah. hadn't have gone there, you wouldn't have met your husband. Yeah, I wouldn't have. Which is amazing. So the question I always ask is how different, I mean, we know that yeah. you probably definitely wouldn't have met your husband if you'd yeah. have gone to Warwick, if you'd gone somewhere different, but how different do you think you would have been as a person? And like, do, you know, how much did that shape you if you hadn't have gone there? Oh. Where would you be now? You know, I think there were some friends that I that I met, a small group of girls, and I remember that they just could see the me beyond the me that I kind of presented. And I remember this really kind of awkward moment in a car and these lovely girls who I think I'd probably done a good job of kind of looking after them. And I remember this kind of intervention moment where they we were sat outside someone's house and, and we were all kind of like, lumped in the car we were about to go in for I don't know house party dinner party and they kind of all just kind of sprung on me that they knew that I wasn't okay and I think I still remember that so many years later and I think it was it's it was that moment that I recognized that I couldn't completely kind of conceal everything of myself and I think it still took me a while beyond that to recognize that actually you know, it's okay to let other people support me as well. Mm-hmm. And that actually, as much as I can do a good job of kind of wrapping myself up and having the like, don't worry about me kind of flag over my head, there are people who can see beyond that. So I think that, you know, I, I think there's something that kind of started something in me yeah. as well. And who knows, that may never, that moment, you know, 
it really matters what friends you make I think it really does and you went through such a hard childhood where as you say like you were just always being like I've just got to be good I've just got to do things and actually the fact that people saw you in a different way and you could act in a different way and be a different way is really important and you mentioned there that your one of your child children is kind of like nearing that age but if one of your kids came to you and said oh my boyfriend or my girlfriend's going to this university, I really want to go there. What would you say to them? Oh man, I'd really hope that they would think about what they what they want. And yeah. I and I think I really try and encourage this in them now, even when they're young. You know, I remember my son Charlie, he always used to, every time I painted my nails, I love painting my nails, he would want me to paint his nails. So I'd always like painting his nails. And then he went to school. And then I was painting my nails one day and I said, oh, do you want me to paint your nails? And he goes, no, mummy is for girls and I felt so sad and I was like Charlie if like if you want to have your nails painted like you can have your nails painted I think this is it it's kind of we we grow up into the world that tells us how and who we should want to be and then I think we get to a point sometimes later in our lives where we're like actually who am I really under all of this and what do I want and what makes me happy and what what would my hobbies be or what what music would I listen to if I hadn't been told what was cool all the time it's like this kind of rediscovery and this kind of dismantling of those layers of ourselves that just kind of occurred along the way because we thought this is what makes us accepted and yeah and I guess you've also got to let kids make their own mistakes sometimes as well yeah Um, yeah so on to your second moment. So this is a what if I hadn't shared my first post about anxiety when my social media focus was on interior design. So I never knew that you had any focus on interior design no. before. Um, so take us back to this time. Explain what triggered you to share this post and why it was such a sliding doors moment for you. Yeah, so I downloaded Instagram and started using it when we were moving house. Um, I had a two-year-old, a n- newborn refluxy baby who just screamed the whole time I was postnatally anxious and depressed and we were moving house and to me that was like right everything's going to be better when we move house we were talking about this before we were like when then when this happens then I'm going to feel happy or then I'm going to feel kind of content and then I'm going to feel deserving of the good things in my life and so I just I was so excited about this move we were moving into a new build house so it's like a white box so I downloaded Instagram just to get some like inspiration because I was spamming all my friends with screenshots of lamps and um and that's what I did I just was doing interiors even though I'm I'm not really that into interiors I was looking (laughs) to do the interiors of the house and now I'm I'm over that now you know and it was really interesting because I that's when Instagram stories came in Mm -hmm. it was literally just at that point and I loved I loved doing that and I like connecting there's a whole kind of community of people that have moved into new world houses who knew like I mean now we know there's a community for everything but it was just such a fun thing for me and I think it was escapism and I amassed quite a few followers and my husband I think was a bit like what you do on your phone all the time and I was just I was almost a bit embarrassed Mm -hmm. like I don't know what's going on here so I didn't really tell him and then I hit like 10,000 followers and then I did this kind of Instagram live and I, I told him about it, like, this is what's been going on. It's like, it's kind of grown a little bit. And, but then after we'd moved into the house, I 
I didn't really, I wasn't really interested in paint colours anymore. <laughs> I couldn't even, every now and again, I get asked, like, what colour is on? I have no idea. It's like kind of a grey. Um, so I think I did an Instagram live and someone said to me, one of the, the questions was, what do you do for a job? You know, and I said, oh, I'm a psychotherapist. And then I started getting questions around mental health and I started answering them. And I just had never thought that therapy, as I had been working clinically, could be done in any other way than than that. I mean, we're going back kind of five, six, seven, like we're going back yeah. a good number of years ago now. Um, so I just started sharing a little bit about mental health on lives. And then I did one post and I remember it was about anxiety. Um, and that was the first time that I spoke about mental health kind of on properly on Instagram and wrote about it. And it was just really well received. And I just thought, man, there's a way to take therapy out of this therapy room. And I just never knew that that was a thing. And did you do it from like instinct? Like, and when you, when you spoke about it, were you talking about it generally? Or were you talking, did you start, cause you talk, you're very open and honest mm-hmm. about yourself, which I think is what draws a lot of people to you. Was that kind of how it's, was it just a very like natural organic thing? Yeah, I think it, it felt like a bit of a risk. Um, but it was about myself. I remember it was a picture of me standing in the garden going like this. That's all I can really remember. It was talk about, it was talking about, it was just talking about anxiety. And I think I probably shared a bit of an insight. So I I just kind of weave in my personal and professional experience. And I think I come from such a privileged position of having spoken to so many people over the like last 10 12 years in therapy rooms I know that when I talk about intrusive thoughts guilt shame trauma anxiety lying awake kind of imagining worst case scenarios I know I'm not alone like I know factually I know that I'm not alone we're all doing it we're all doing it so I have this confidence in being able to talk about those things because I don't have the shame that that I did before because I know the whys and I know the what we can do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's kind of where it comes out of is like I have all of these messy thoughts and I have all of these feelings, but I know that I'm not the only one. So I kind of can put myself out there and hope that then other people can hopefully then start having those conversations because as soon as we start stripping away that shame that we have that's when that's when we can do that definitely and was this the catalyst then for basically like who you are now in the sense of did it just organically then grow that people were like oh what's she talking about and you like the response that you got did this just like yeah grow authentically yeah it wasn't it, it wasn't like an intentional thing to start with um I remember getting loads of people saying well do you have therapy sessions available um so I started doing kind of phone call sessions, which was, again, like going back a number of years ago, that just wasn't a thing. It was always kind of really classic clinical setting. And also as a therapist to have clients who kind of see you, that was also like mm-hmm. a no-no. So it was, I didn't even really know whether I was doing something wrong whether I shouldn't be working in that way I had a really lovely supervisor that I'd worked with for a few years I would kind of walked like we walked this through together kind of ethically how does it work when your client can actually see you in your life and like having your highs and lows and what does that mean so 
yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a strange thing. It was just kind of, again, like what is meant for you will not yeah. pass you by. Like, actually this, this is a good thing and I'm enjoying it. And it's, yeah. So this is where I'm going to put my energy. But I think it's so interesting in the world that we live in today, because, you know, people just want to have hundred thousand followers on Instagram and they want to be big in this, that, and this, but actually the way you, that you become that and you sustain that and it becomes authentic is out of exactly, like you didn't sit there and strategize being like, I'm going to post this today. I mean, didn't really exist then all these like social calendars and all that type mm. of stuff, but you did something out of just feeling like at the time you wanted to do it and it grew and it grew for you. And like, you know, if you hadn't have posted that post, yeah. you're like, what would you be doing? Because what were you doing at the time? Were you, were you kind of working as a therapist? So I think I was not at that, not when I started, uh, or was I gosh it's so hard to think back I think I was seeing four clients a week in a practice mm-hmm. yeah and I love you know I love doing that but I will work with one client for up to two years so what I love about this is you know actually there is stuff that I share and that we get to through to and through in therapy which is really valuable um, but it's behind like a pay barrier like it's behind you know it's not accessible for everyone and when I used to work in GP surgeries you know people would have been on the waiting list for like six months to up to two years and you just think how can I put this out in a way that even if it's not kind of very specific to people that they can just kind of apply it to their lives and get these kind of my favorite thing is like light bulb moments and I remember the day that I learned the term psychoeducation I was like oh my gosh there's a thing called psychoeducation I was like this is literally what I do and this is what I love and it just wasn't something that I was aware was an okay thing to do as a therapist yeah it's brilliant because I think this moment not only changed your life but you've changed so many people's lives like I always say like if one person takes something away from something that you've said like you've done a massive job and mm-hmm. you've probably also been a massive inspiration to other people to take therapy out of the therapy room and seeing the different mediums that you can do and how you can touch different people um if we go on your instagram and scroll all the way to the bottom can we still see some of the interior design stuff i don't know i'm gonna do that later it'll take you a while (laughs) that's my mission later to see um but no i love that moment i think it's just it's also just a really great message of people that like you know if something things can grow organically Mm. they can grow into something that really becomes like what fulfills when your passion um so on to your last moment, which is what if I hadn't have crashed my car? Yeah. This led to driving anxiety, which led to me helping others with driving anxiety. So not that I'm condoning a crash, but this really is my type of moment because it's not something that you chose. It's something that happened to you that was very much out of your control. And it's one tiny moment that happened that seemed to change everything for you. So take us back to that day and explain what happened. Right. So this involves my ex-boyfriend. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, when I say what? ex-boyfriend, it sounds so serious, but I was literally, oh, you know, I was so, must have been about 17, 18. When could you drive back then? I think it's later 17. now, isn't it? 17. 17 and yeah. I just got my license and his dad was a dentist now I've had so many things done to my teeth and knocked them out when I was 10 so they're kind of like I've got screw going up here half of them got nothing to do with me apart from the finance front um and his dad was doing something to one of my teeth that was like going gray and we were driving down this country lane back in Shropshire and it was really rainy and leafy And this is how I remember it, is that one of my wheels kind of went into the kind of the verge, the mushy bit. Mm -hmm. And he leant over, grabbed my wheel and pushed it. 
up to the right and being like, ah, like pushed up to the right. So then we kind of went up this bank and like slipped back down again. So the car was like on its side. And um, yeah, it just really shook. It just shook me. Um, And I hadn't been an anxious driver. I hadn't been a driver for very long to maybe even realise um, all of the things that can happen, which I now feel very hyper aware of. Um, but I then just didn't really want to, I was just, yeah, just really nervous about driving again. I think there's something about being in a car that's kind of not where it should be mm-hmm. in space is just really unnerving. Um, and was quite, yeah, it was, it was horrible. Although I remember my first thought being like, oh dear, I've just put a whole tank of petrol in this not that it might blow up but I'm just like you know I was young and that was like 30 quid or whatever yeah it, cost. it was a lot oh, those were the days when you could fill up your tank 30 quid um yeah so I just I didn't feel safe in a car again and then I think we went to university and I didn't have to drive and then did you not drive then for a while couldn't afford a car anyway so that was fine <laughs> that was and then moved to London so got away with it but whenever I went home I felt like I just would rather not I'd rather any family member or my brother Mm -hmm. drive me around which delighted them um and then when I did need to drive I was just I would get these intrusive thoughts so these thoughts that would just kind of like pop into my mind of what could happen like literally playing out kind of this lorry coming onto me or even just like intentional what would happen if I literally just went like this it's weird, isn't it? Because you yeah. know you're, you've got the control to I've just do control. that. And I think that terrified yeah. me as well, the fact that I could do something like that. And mm. I'm just like, what if that person's drunk? What if that person hasn't slept two days? What if that lorry driver? Mm. And I was so consumed by all of these, like, what ifs, that I'd literally see them happening. And then my body would start responding. I'd start kind of getting that heightened, like, short, shortened breath and just panicky feeling. And then my brain would be like, get off, get off, get off, or just do not drive at all. So I would go, I would walk miles in the rain with a double buggy for a play date so that I wouldn't have to drive. I would literally kind of make excuses not to go to things that involve me driving. And it was, they got to a point in my life, especially when we were living in Surrey, that it it was quite debilitating because a lot of things... <laughs> Would it, it would have been really helpful if I could have just driven. Yeah. And how did you start then to conquer the fear? So, you know, it's, I think we've all had it. It doesn't necessarily have to be a car crash, but I think we've all had things that happen to us that shake us and you lose your confidence. How did you then start to build and conquer it? So I think it was at the time when I started realizing, actually, I, ha- I have all these tools that I work, that I use with clients and I really just need to start using them on myself. And And I think as with anxiety, The difficult thing about anxiety is when your worst fears have kind of in a way something's already happened. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can try and reassure ourselves that it probably won't happen. But then there's a bit of your brain that's going, actually, you know what? It did. It it had, you know, it had happened. So it kind of like takes the power out of your ability to kind of coach yourself through those moments. And I think as with anxiety, like sometimes when we're worried or we're scared, we just want someone to come put their hands on our shoulders and like look us in the eye and promise us that everything's going to be okay. And I wish that so often that someone could come do that to me, especially, yeah. you know, I I find when my kids get ill or if they get headaches because my sister's cancer, like there's this anxiety that rises up in me. And I think I just noticed that I really struggled with those 
those things where you're you're like vulnerable yeah. and actually when you love you're vulnerable like that's one of the hardest things about parenting it's like I I'm vulnerable in my love for these children because it's high stakes like the more the more we love the more the more we have to, to lose. lose yeah and the more we drive the more we risk things happening that are out of our control and I started I think I just noticed a theme in my life that I was just avoiding doing the things mm-hmm. um and I just decided I was just going to have to start, have to start driving and addressing the anxiety and knowing that actually I'm still going to have those thoughts. And I still have those thoughts. Like I still have those thoughts on the motorway, mm-hmm. um, but they don't have the same power anymore. And it, it, you know, it's, it, for me, it's just been kind of slowly rewriting the narrative and, and getting to a more comfortable place with the uncertainty of no one can promise me. And that's the hardest thing, isn't it? in life and we're anxious about stuff and we just want someone to promise us that it's going to be okay and I think that goes across so many different situations but it's finding yeah it's it's knowing getting comfortable almost in that uncertainty or at least familiar with the fact the, the discomfort mm-hmm. and knowing that we'll just end up not living life to the full if we let that limit us so it was literally like making myself drive every day yeah you know and just feeling that anxiety and just kind of yeah using tools like breathing exercises I still breathe past lorries sometimes the kids just know that's what I do yeah I'm like you know there's one right next to me and I'm just I've got as soon as I shut my eyes I'm like "Ah." (laughs) don't do that (laughs) don't do that (laughs) but and then when you spoke out about it was that not only did that help because obviously you you've helped other people because you know you've opened up the question but did it also help you because again you realize you weren't alone yeah yeah and actually driving anxiety is so common the more that I speak about it the more people come out like I remember Fern Cotton spoken quite a lot about driving anxiety and it is really common because it's just one of those things in life where we can just really sense our vulnerability and we sense our responsibility and we just have to trust that other people are being responsible. And it's just, yeah, it's one of those things that yeah, all of that just comes to a head. And we have to, if we want freedom, we need to just keep going despite that anxiety. Yeah. And it's a really good message for anything that people deal with with anxiety. It's like, you know, slowly getting back into things, but also finding other people that are going through it as well, because Mm. that's when you can start to talk and realize that there's ways to get out of it. And as I said before, like, I think the reason why this moment is so strong is because, you know, if you'd have left a little bit later, if you hadn't have gone down that verge, if you're I was going to yeah. say father-in-law. He wasn't your father-in-law. Well, if you're dentist yeah, or you've yeah. had like you know, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have had that crash. No. Um, and you know, do you think about like that ever? Like, did you used to think about that a lot? Kind of mm, like, I wish I just oh, that that had never happened. Yeah, I mean, I I think often is the way when we look back at those pertinent moments where we just feel really vulnerable or broken, you know. And I don't think. I don't truly believe that everything happens for a reason. Like, I don't think, for me, I don't think that's that's true. I don't think my sister died for a reason. I don't think my friend that I'm close to lost a baby for a reason. I don't think there is a reason that that should have happened. I just think that good things can come from those mm-hmm. things later down the line. And one of the most powerful conversations I ever had with my mum was that, you know, do you wish that you'd stopped at two children 
I've never gone through that loss. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because it would have been it would have been safer, right? You just would have loved us and you wouldn't have had to kind of go through that grief. And she's she always says it was worth every day of loving her. And I think so often the anxiety that we have around bad things happening and loss and those kind of curveball moments that just kind of sweep us off our feet is that sense that we'll never be okay again. And that actually sometimes it's just easier to not take the risk. Like it's easier to not get in the car. It's easier maybe not to think about having another child because the thought of actually just the vulnerability in love or the vulnerability in being on the road is just not worth the risk. And I just always hold on to that of what she said about it was worth, it was worth all of it. And I think, you know, I drive all the time now. And and if I think about the adventures that we've had and the memories that we've made because of my ability to do that, and every time it's a risk, like every time yeah. we step outside, every time we open up to a friend, there's it's always risk. But actually, as we get in touch with that vulnerability, like I think often that's where the living is. 100%. so annoying that has to happen like that. it is but it is life and it's like as you say it, you opened up so well there because I think loss or anxiety or anything that we feel you know especially with loss you I think anyone you speak to that suffered loss will always say I would have preferred to have gone through the loss than have never to had it at all and it's the same when we go through heartbreak and mm. everything like that and it is it's finding that balance of you know building yourself back up because life is for living and yeah. we've got to you know, if things don't happen for a reason necessarily, but, you know, at some point of some day, you will sit there and you will feel a bit more of, okay, I can pick myself up. Something else can happen through that way. Um, And yeah, it's just a really poignant moment because I think we've all had times where, as I say, it may not have been a car crash, but something that's really driven the way you feel. I mean, I sit up at night thinking about everything. Mm. And I remember actually being in a car crash when I was younger. I wouldn't get in a car for ages. I just Mm. felt so, so scared. But you also then build that strength, don't you? Like, do you feel like now you've built that strength inside you to know that you can do it? Yeah. Like, honestly, I drive the car and I'm like grinning and I'm like, I'm so proud of myself operating this heavy machinery. (laughs) I mean, even more so, like if it's raining and I'm on the motorway, I'm like, look what I'm doing look what I'm doing and I'm saying to myself like this is amazing considering I for 10 years basically would walk in the rain you know or just not go to places because of driving and I think it's so important sometimes just to allow ourselves to have those moments where to someone else would be like for goodness sake you're just on the motorway like calm down but actually just to recognize the weight of that and actually what that you know what what you're winning every time you're doing that and what ground you're covering and just yeah to be proud of yourself and your wins will not look like other people's wins sometimes just as your growth may not look like other people's growth but I think it's yeah we deserve to recognize that for ourselves celebrate it for each other we definitely do and that is a great way to wrap up I could carry on talking to you for ages I've got so many more questions but um Anna thank you so much thank you for sharing your moments but thank you for being so honest and your advice is so so brilliant and I think we can all relate to everything and really go and listen to Anna's little edits her podcast everything that she does because she's so inspirational um so yeah thank you so much thank for being you. on Sliding Doors thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors 
If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.